So let's be real. Home is the place where all of the beautiful goodness Christ taught crashes headfirst into the ugly brick wall that is real life. But this is also where it starts to really matter. This is where we equip ourselves and our family with all of the tools, skills, and whatchamacallits vital to succeed in Christ. Join us in our journey to find light, positivity, and specific practical ways to make our homes little outposts of heaven so we can better brighten wherever we end up wandering. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Outpost of Heaven, the podcast. This is Emily Jordan with my spouse, my hubby. Andrew Jordan, right here. Yep. In the flesh. In the flesh. And today we're excited to welcome back Lauren Marks. He's a professor here at BYU um, in the School of Family Life Department. Good to be with you again. Yeah. Uh, for those of you, or for those of our listeners who are joining us for the first time and didn't listen to your previous episode, could you give just a really quick brief, you know, your 10-second resume? You bet. Uh, and tell us about your family, because that's the important part. I have been teaching uh, in family studies for 21 years, 13 years uh, of that was at Louisiana State University. Uh, my wife, Sandra, and I have five uh, wonderful kids ranging in age from about uh, 22 down to age 11. Three girls, two boys. Awesome. That's great. What do you guys like to do together as a family? Uh, we love to play sports. We like to hike and camp, uh, and we're avid readers. Awesome. Okay. Uh, for those of you who are listening to this, ep- or this is the first time listening to an episode with uh, with Lauren, our last episode we talked about reading and the power of reading to bring your family closer together, and it was a really good episode. So after you finish this episode, I highly <laughs> recommend jumping on to that one. Yeah, we'll link it in the show notes. Yeah, we definitely will. All right. Great. Well, today we're going to be talking about marriage and how to have a meaningful marriage in a hurry-up world, right? Perfect. Okay. So let's jump into yeah. it. Uh, a good place to begin is that my wedding gift for my mother-in-law when, when my wife and I got married uh, almost 24 years ago was a two feet by three feet. We're, we're talking huge. Uh cross stitch, framed cross stitch that said, mama says that one date a week leads to everlasting love. Um, <laughs> subtle as a dump truck in a nitroglycerin plant. Uh, love you, mom. Um, so, uh, but I That's think, a lot of time. That's like a lot of that's an intense commitment to that. A lot of time that she took. Uh, it's beautiful, uh, hand stitched. And it was clearly very, very important to her. And it's important enough to me that it remains in my mind and in my home um, 24 years later. And I think today it'd be fun to talk through a little bit with, uh, with your listeners some ideas about how to keep everlasting love. You know, uh, one of those ideas is a date a week. Mm-hmm. I think it's a fantastic idea. Subscribe to it. Um, <laughs> So maybe we can start off there, and uh, you too. You've made it this far. <laughs> so Yeah, we, we've been married f- over four years now. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think this topic is so relevant for us right now because we're both in school. It seems very busy. We have kids, and we have jobs, and it's hard to not get stuck in that busy schedule. And it, it is hard to make time for each other, like quality time, but yeah. it's... Definitely important, and we are striving to do that. Yeah, and so we've actually been discussing the past couple months. We've tried to um, recommit to having a a week or a week, <laughs> a date a week, um, 
And it's it's very difficult in in this phase of life. I think in every mm-hmm. phase of life we find different difficulties, but in this phase of life where we're students and we're working and we're just crazy busy, it is quite difficult. So I'm very excited to hear your uh, your suggestions and your insight. And I think too, um, sorry to interrupt, but I think too in the world that we're living in, we have um, it's almost like a. a piece of pride to have a lot to do and to be really busy and then also we have um this I mean I don't know how long this has been around I feel like it's my whole life but this concept of instant what is that called instant gratification Mm -hmm. where like we want things now we want it done we want it so that we can continue to just like be busy and be going 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 um and it feels good and I will admit to me like it feels good to go 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 because I'm a productive it's gratifying like focused person it's really gratifying yeah. Um, but I'm really excited to talk more about how we can slow down. Yeah. And, yeah. I think I think that point's a really well-made one, Emily. If you stop and listen to some conversations that take place, it it almost sounds like an unintentional brag about who's busiest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. As though it's some kind of a contest. <clears throat> um, it, you don't hear very often someone say, man, uh, let me tell you about my week. Um what I did was just chilled and ate pizza with my with my family on Friday night. <laughs> yeah. That's what I want to tell you. Instead, we want to brag about how busy and harried and frenetic our schedule is. Um, and I wish that we could swing the pendulum a little bit yeah. the other way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the topic that we talked about for today, uh, how to have a meaningful marriage in a hurry-up world, uh, you, you do. You feel that pressure coming in at you. It's difficult. Uh, and, and many of the best thinkers, therapists, clinicians, researchers, say that it's not going to happen by accident. So the first thing that you need to keep in mind is to be intentional. Mm-hmm. Uh, for f- my wife and I, Saturday night is our date night. Are we perfect? No. Even with that two to three foot a reminder for my mother-in-law emblazoned uh, in our home, we're not perfect. But I know that when that when that Saturday night date takes place, our marriage goes better. Our life goes better. Friday in our home is Friday family movie pizza night. <laughs> um, know there are a lot of things healthier than pizza, but that's the family tradition. There's another, you know, six days of the week to eat healthy stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So we grab the pizza, uh, get a family-friendly movie, and we enjoy that. I would also, on the dating note, urge, particularly the dads out there, to think about adapting your variation of a daddy date where uh, however many children you may be blessed to have, uh, whether it's one or whether it's 10, to do your systematic best to have a one-on-one individual date with each of your children on a regular basis, whatever regular may be. If you can pull that off weekly, fantastic, but I would urge you to do it no less than once a month. Um, Per child. per, Per child. 
So the, you talked mm-hmm. to us a little bit about this before, and we actually just started doing it a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Cool. And we really enjoyed it. Yeah. And our kids are really little. They don't really understand what we're doing, but it's nice that right now we have two, so we can each just take yeah. one. And I feel like before we were doing it when we just had one, but we just said, oh, well, I'll take Hiram with me to go to the store. We'll go out and grab, like, we'll go out and get a candy bar or something like that. But with two, it gets a little more complicated because then we have to, like, split it up. And then we want a, a large family, and so we were talking about how difficult it's going to be when we have, you know, we have six or, like six kids or six or seven kids, and we have to decide, all right, how do we do this? How do we go on, how do each of us go on a date with each child every month? So do you have any advice for that? Like, How do you do it? You yeah. have... Uh, More than two. Yeah, we have five, and the kids typically uh, get to pick what they want to do. And so they've got the planning planning opportunity, and and one may say, Dad, uh, I want to play racquetball and go get an ice cream after. Uh, Dad, I want to go for a bike ride and get a hamburger when we're done. These do not need to be expensive. Some of the best uh, dates I've I've done with my kids over the years um, include things that are very inexpensive. But the the essence of this experience is that there are things that your children will tell you one on one that they will not say in a family setting. Mm-hmm. And so, in terms of deepening the relationship and and keeping close. It's uh, it's a wonderful thing to do. Now, some may say, hey, I thought you guys were going to be talking about marriage this time. <laughs> uh, what, is, what does that have to do with marriage? My, my quick testimonial would be that as you draw closer individually to your children, it also pulls you closer to their mother, to their father. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gives you, when you come back together as wife and husband, as mother and father together, it gives you important things to talk about. Hey, you know, um, Jesse's struggling in reading. Are there some things that we can do to help him out there? Um, Sarah is struggling with social anxiety. She's, she's having a hard time making friends. What, what are some things that we can do together there and as a family um, to, to help solve those problems. So it, it strengthens your marriage through the back door. Okay. I really like that idea of um, not, I'm trying not to think in political science terms, but like not all re- the relationships and families are multilateral and not bilateral. And by that I mean um, it's not like my relationship to my son is completely independent of my relationship to my wife. It's like a spider web. Yeah, so yeah. they're all interconnected. It's like as you tie any of them closer, they are all strengthened. And as any of them are weakened, um, it has the potential to weaken the other ones as well. It's really well put. One of my favorite therapists and researchers on marriage uh, is Bill Doherty from the University of Minnesota. And he has shared uh, a number of insights gathered both from research and from his clinical work over over the past uh, three or four decades with us. Uh, as as uh, lay members and families, and and as social science professionals, that I think are worth holding on to. One that strikes me is the greatest threat to marriage is everyday living. <laughs> uh, I invite you to ponder that. The greatest threat to marriage is everyday living. Uh, 
Other researchers, researchers have indicated that many divorces occur or many marriages end with a whisper instead of a bang. Mm. It's not one big explosion. It's a gradual weakening. Yeah. And it, it's just that everyday life puts such a current against you, against uh, unifying as a couple, uh, having quality time to really love each other, to attend to each other, that you, you have to, to fight against that actively. Well, I feel like our, our society today is, has, um, it's really incentivized, like all of these things that are outside of the family. You know, like the, it's, we talked earlier, like Emily brought up, I guess both of you talked about how there's this kind of undercurrent of uh, being busy is cool. Being busy is like a measure of success. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I feel like there are a lot of tensions in my life personally. I'm, I'm imagining it's this way for a lot of people, but there are a lot of tensions that um, make me want to or incentivize me to do things or to be a part of things that aren't necessarily benefiting my family. Mm-hmm. And like the world is constantly trying to get us to uh, exchange, um, you know, family currency for currency of the world. Yeah. If that makes sense. And then, when I say currency, I don't just mean, you know, dollars or, or rubles or, <laughs> or pesos, whatever you use, but um, like social currency, like the... Worldly benefit versus like family. Yeah. Um, there, there's like a whole theory of sure. like social currency. That's the different. Th- we can talk about that later. But <laughs> sure. Yeah. Uh, there, there are a lot of challenges that come at you. Uh, Doherty and, and some other leading uh, marital scholars talk about what they call time affairs. Hmm. So you can have an affair of infidelity and ruin your marriage, ruin your relationship. But with a time affair, it it, it is essentially anything that separates you as wife and husband. Um, It it divides you, and you want to be very careful of those kinds of things. Uh, C.S. Lewis, among others, has pointed out that, hey, uh, you can do as much damage with cards, with gambling, with sports, to a marriage as you Mm -hmm. can with infidelity. If (laughs) If it's focused on inappropriately, shopping, hunting, those kinds mm-hmm. of things can destroy marriage just the way uh, marital infidelity can. Yeah. And so we want to keep a close eye, remembering that often the good is the enemy of the best. Mm-hmm. And you've got to be careful. Uh, as Stephen Covey has said, um, it's hard to say no unless you have a, a deep burning yes right. inside. And so if family is your yes, you need to learn to say no to some other things. Mm-hmm. So, Emily, let's yeah. try and make this a little more ground level for our listeners. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So what do you think your biggest thing is that's, like, the, your biggest temptation for it to be a time affair, I guess? Like, I don't think you have anything mm. like that right now, but what is the thing that okay. could most easily become a time affair for you? Um, so right now I have an Etsy shop and I do watercolors, and I really love doing that. So I think that, like, right now, especially as Christmas is coming, and I'm not sure when this is going to be released, so maybe Christmas is best. I don't know. <laughs> but um, it's really, really busy with Christmas orders, and I really love it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at nights, I'll be staying up really late working on orders and homework, and I, I feel like I should whine and complain about it, but I really do love 
I love that. And so that is something that I definitely need to check myself on and make sure that I'm not putting all of my time and energy and feeling into that and focus on you and make sure. And mm-hmm. we've, I mean, we've talked about this and we've um, made sure to have breaks and to do things together and to cuddle and all those things mm-hmm. too. So, Think about mine. Okay. I think mine, uh, my biggest one probably is actually my obsession with progression. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of progress and of improvement. And at times I think I let it become an obsession. Okay. Where I just spend too, I, I spend so much energy and time on that, mm-hmm. like where I'm, I, I can't sit down very easily. I always have to be doing something. Even if we're sitting down watching TV, mm-hmm. I'll be like practicing my my Spanish vocabulary, my Russian vocabulary, like trying to expand my, mm-hmm. uh, like expand my abilities and improve, and not just that, but I think. We had this conversation a couple of days ago, actually, where I came and said, hey, I think we need to be doing this better. Mm-hmm. And you just felt, like, totally overwhelmed. Yeah. Because of the way that Andrew is, I mean, we're, we're I would say we are both very, like, progress-oriented. We mm-hmm. always want to, like, self-improve and stuff like that. Um, but Andrew's more so than I am. And so when he comes to me with something he wants to change in the way we do our family or um, an improvement he wants to make with us or himself or me or something like that, it's very easy for me to get overwhelmed and be like, whoa, so that means I'm not doing it right. Mm-hmm. Or that means I'm not. And, and I yeah. think the flavor of progression I tend to like um, leans like busy stuff, like leans like towards the busy aspect of mm-hmm. or that the world promotes. Yeah. And so usually my progression, like these things I want to do to be better is like implementing a new system or like <laughs> doing something different in my life on a regular basis uh, and, and making life more more complicated and less, maybe even less focused because right. of how complicated it is because I yeah. get caught up in, in the weeds of the, of the thing I'm trying to implement instead of focusing on the things that are most important. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, that's mine. Yeah, I think one thing, too, to ask ourselves is, is this bringing me closer to my Heavenly Father in Jesus Christ, and is it bringing me closer to my spouse? Because if, I mean, if it is bringing you closer to Jesus Christ and Heavenly Father, it's probably bringing you closer to your spouse, Mm -hmm. too, like, naturally. Yeah. Um, And I think what we were talking about, like, having a clear understanding of the why, like, what why mm -hmm. I'm going after. Yeah. Makes it to, possible for us to be intentional because if we yeah. don't understand the why and we don't understand like the base things we want and why we're doing things, then we can't really be intentional because we can say we're intentional, but really being intentional, all, all that means is acting on your whys. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't have clearly defined whys, then your intentionality is going to really be useless. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Sorry for that. No, fantastic, guys. Uh, appreciate it. Um, in terms of trying to avoid those time affairs and mm-hmm. keep our attention where things matter most, one of the most important things that we've learned from family studies research to this point uh, is that family meals are powerful. Mm. Uh, in fact, getting ready to visit with you today, I took a, back, a look back through at some research to, to look at some, some things that are associated with having regular family meals. This 
typically tends to be dinner, Mm -hmm. uh, where families do it four or more nights a week. So they're eating together more often than they are not. And here's just a really quick list. Families are closer. We call it family cohesion. There's less youth depression, less youth delinquency. The uh, scholastic and academic performance increases for the youth involved. Lower substance abuse, fewer eating disorders, lower obesity and better diet, and more quality time together as a family. This is an incomplete list, but even from from this short list, you see these wonderful things Mm -hmm. that happen for children and youth. This This is not it, though. This benefits the marriage as well. Uh, I I, am not going to get structured and say the the meal should look this way or that way. That's above my pay grade. I think it's it's important, however, to have a little bit of firmness and structure. Um, Go ahead. Hey, sweetie. (laughs) Yeah, I'm doing a podcast right now. We should just keep this on. Okay, uh, but it's okay. Um, anything I can do for you right now? No, it's okay. I'll talk to you later. You sure? Yeah, I was just going to inform you some stuff, so I'll talk to you later. Okay, it hey, sounds good, love. Bye-bye. Right. I think we're going to keep that in. Can we keep that on? Is your wife okay with that? <laughs> That's fine. That's okay. so cute. No, no. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Above conti- your pay grade. Continue on. <laughs> I don't, know my pay, yeah. I don't know whose pay grade yeah. that would be, though, <laughs> if it's above it, it, your pay grade. It's, it's, the moms, it's the moms and the dads, you know, and the family it, with some feedback from the kids about how to do it. Our kids love going around and, and saying, the best part of my day was, you know, dot, mm-hmm. dot, dot, and mm-hmm. filling it in. Um, th- there, are, there are more days than, than one where the best part of the day is right now. Mm-hmm. You know, eating mom's cooking, being here together. This is this is the best part. But uh, I urge families to to make that a priority. Uh, make family meals a priority. Um, Question about the mm-hmm. research. Sure. So, uh, for those of you who don't know, I I am in a, a social science discipline as well, um, and so I'm wondering is uh, those are a lot of really awesome um, not side effects, but results of having. Mm-hmm. Uh, family meals. Um, does the research suggest that those are um, that the relationship between family meals and all those effects that we that you listed is causatory in the sense like family meals causes this, or do people who have these other good things also do family meals? That's a really good question. It's very difficult to prove causality mm-hmm. uh, with these issues, but they they correlate highly. They hang closely together. Um, so. Uh, we don't want to overstate and say that it causes absolutely a result, but the indications are that, that there's a strong correlation. Um, it's worth worth doing it. And good things tend to cluster together. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, a success in one area tends to bleed over to success in another. Yeah. Um, one idea that I'd love to share that that pushes against the kind of uh, let's see how busy we can can get contest that mm-hmm. tends to take place has to do with uh, with the concept raised initially by a researcher named Del- David Elkind who studied children. He wrote a a book length study called The Hurried Child, in which he suggests that our kids are pushed too fast. They don't get the chance to chill. Mm-hmm. They don't get the chance mm-hmm. to connect. 
to, to bond, to process, to do some things that are very important in child development. Uh, and as a result, I emphasize at a family level to the students that I have the chance to interact with that often the best things in life are slow. They're slow. Some say, well, what do you mean? That doesn't even make sense. Well, stop and think about what are the things that you cherish most in your life? Well, my relationship with my spouse. Oh, and did that happen in 20 minutes? <laughs> you know, uh, well, talking about the spouse, what do you value most? Well, I trust her. And how long did that trust require, mm -hmm. you know, to develop and deepen to the point it is now? Uh, even yeah. even day to day things like just cuddling and reading a book to your child, like we talked about last podcast, that you gotta slow it down. Do the voices, turn the pages <laughs> slow. It's not a race. You soak it up. You enjoy it, and you be patient. Yeah, I cut you off, Andrew. Go ahead. Oh, I was just thinking about the uh, the aspects of relationships that can be quick. I'm thinking like like. When I look at Emily, I think, oh, she's hot. Like, she's pretty <laughs> dang good looking. Like, that's that's something that you can have that kind of relationship oh, or that quality in a relationship instantaneously. Uh -huh. Or like, oh, like, like, oh, she's funny. Or, you know, like all of these really important but somewhat more shallow things. Like, things that, like, there are aspects of a relationship that you can have instantaneously with anybody. But the deep, meaningful relationships come not from those kind of surfacey aspects and mm -hmm. i'm not even say surfacy because i think you are deeply beautiful and you're oh, well, deeply funny you. but um <laughs> the, those aspects of your personality that you can't share instantaneously i think that's a really cool idea yeah mm -hmm. i had an interesting conversation a while back and a conversation about conversations on this note of slow is deep deep is good mm -hmm. and if you want slow and deep you've you, you have to be patient uh in terms of communication, I was really struck years ago when I, I read about Navajo Indian culture and how if, for example, Andrew and I are having a heart-to-heart, -heart, if, you, if you allow me to step onto your sacred ground, by that, uh, I mean, you, we're not talking about sports, we're not talking about the weather, we're talking about the things of your soul. Mm -hmm. um, and you're sharing this with me Number one, I don't don't interrupt. Number two, I wait after you have finished talking to me. I wait for at least 30 seconds to respond. 30 seconds is an eternity in American culture. <laughs> yeah, like you, you know, you might wonder if your conversation partner has fallen asleep or had an aneurysm or right. something. Like whole conversations yeah, take right. place in 30 yeah, seconds. That's right. Yeah. That's right. But, uh, but if you've poured your heart out to me, I, I wait for that 30 seconds, and there are two reasons for that. Number one, I want to make sure, since you are being vulnerable and open and sharing the things of your soul with me, that you've gotten everything out of your heart, off your chest, that you wanted to. Mm -hmm. Number two is a little more nuanced. Number two is that I, I want to show and demonstrate to you that I would not be so rude as to be formulating my verbal response while you're pouring your heart out to me. Mm -hmm. right. 
that would be inappropriate. I wouldn't have been giving you my whole soul while you were pouring out yours. Right. And the first time I heard that, I thought, oh, man, guilty. Yeah, really. You know, guilty. I, I, I've had the chance to ask uh, a friend of mine who is a Navajo elder, do you still do this in your culture? And his response to me was, was with a sad face. He said, we still honor our elders this way. Uh, we tend to do that when we're talking to someone more respected, mm -hmm. uh, older than we are. But we don't do it with our peers and we don't do it with those who are younger than us. And, and he went on to say, I think that cell phones have decimated that tradition in large measure. Hmm. With all this said, the application that I would choose to make here is the three of us are sitting together and thinking about how to best love our, our spouse is let's be careful. Let's be careful to follow that second principle. When that person that we love more than anything else is, is opening up, sharing some vulnerable things, let's listen deeply. Let's listen slowly. Let's turn the clock off. What possibly could we be doing that's more important than that? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah thank you for Any sure. thoughts, sir? It's so hard. It's, <laughs> <laughs> I just think, especially when, um, frequently when we're, when we are sharing those deep aspects of ourselves, we reach, we're, we're sharing those aspects uh, not just to have a conversation, but because we need something to change, right? It's like when if something's yeah. wrong, if we're really having a hard time, if we need extra help, that's when we reach out, um, or that's when we are we have the most long form versions of these conversations. Mm -hmm. And when Emily comes to me and has these has <laughs> things that are hurting her or are worrying her, I just want to like get involved and try and help her fix it as soon yeah. as possible. And it is so hard to step back and be like, and, and do and that wait. and just listen. Mm -hmm. And it is so hard like having. I think we all do this for different reasons, but for me, I have a very like strategy oriented brain, and so. Like, as I hear things, I perceive that everything as, as uh, problems or as new frameworks or as new ideas. And I, I think, how can I engage this? How can I fix this? How can I uh, make this work better? Or, or how can I improve on this idea? And so like that's how I always think. And it's very difficult for me to step back and be like, Emily, you just talk. And like when you're ready, then I will then I can engage. Mm -hmm. um, oh, that's so hard. Yeah. yeah. It's so difficult. Well, this doesn't really apply to marriage as much, but I was reading something or listening. I don't even remember what, what I was doing, but um, this whole topic about prayer came up, and um, I think it was for one of our assignments. Anyways, yeah. that it's okay to sit in silence with God um, because, like, when you pray, he doesn't just, like, you the answer right away he waits and it's okay as the person praying to sit in that silence and it's okay to let him sit in the silence with you yeah that's so true i mean i think so much of heavenly father's means of communication with us mm -hmm. is is not verbal i mean so much of it is not right. verbal um 
I mean, I guess most of it's not verbal, but uh, most of it's not even like active communication. Mm-hmm. Most of it is is very, at least it's not active. I think it's active listening and it's active engagement, but he doesn't really, he doesn't act nearly as much as, I think we're used to people acting when we have conversations in mm-hmm. or problems. We want we. I mean, yeah. Even when I say I don't want you to fix it, like I do want you to fix it. <laughs> but like, that's not confusing. No, I know. <laughs> I know. Um, but yeah, when we pray to Heavenly Father, we want answers. We want Him to fix our problems. And sometimes we need to just step back and say, "I'm okay with you just sitting with me." Yeah. I'm listening. Because in the long run, that's really what we we crave is the we crave being. Not just heard, but like seen and mm-hmm. known and yeah. understood. Sure. Yeah. And I think that's impossible to do if we're if we're only thinking about how what someone is saying applies to me and applies to the way I see the world or anything like how I was talking about. Like I tr- constantly try to engage things. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm doing that, I literally cannot see them for who they are. Because I'm only seeing them through my lens and through my perspective. Right. And unless I can step back and like kind of turn off my lens, um, at least for the moment, mm-hmm. so I can try and see them for who they are and for the experiences they're having, for the struggles they're having, I'm not going to be able to, I'm not going to be able to do that. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. I need to do better. Thank you. I think we all need to be better. Yep. Biggest room is the need for the room for improvement, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you, the two of you mentioned strategies briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to, to trying to dig into our relationship with each other, uh, another leading marital researcher, a man named John Gottman, uh, talks about what he calls the magic five hours. Uh, five hours of wife husband interaction time that seems to make a huge difference uh, in the quality of marriage. So we're not talking about 40 hours a week, 50 hours a week, which isn't possible for most of us right. in today's culture. But at the core of that magic five hours, as he calls it, is 20 minutes a day of conversation. How, how do you make that happen? How do you make sure that you've got 20 minutes if 20 minutes of investment was the difference between saving and deepening your marriage and losing it, you'd never let a day go by without right. th- that 20 minutes. Uh, some ideas that have come up um, for my wife and I, we love to go for a walk together. Uh, often that can end up being an hour if it's nice weather, but uh, 20 minutes with the bedroom door shut during bad weather to, to chat without kids interrupting is not a bad backup plan. Mm-hmm. Um, for some others, uh, we have some loved ones who have a hot tub, and part of the ritual is sitting in the hot tub. You know, <laughs> for nice. no, no, yeah. not, too, not too bad as, as it's turning chilly here. Yeah. Um, uh, another, another couple love to have an after dinner dessert where the kids need to go to another room while mom and dad have their dessert together at the table. But the, the point is that in between that Friday or Saturday night big date that you have together, there's, there's constant maintenance. Mm-hmm. Best and worst part of your day, honey, 
What, what can I do for you tomorrow? Um, what kinds of things are troubling you? Um, are there things that I need to know? Uh, uh, you, you fill me in. Interestingly, with this idea of the, that 20-minute core that's uh, sometimes called by Gottman uh, love maps, staying aware of your partner's map of emotion, what, what they're dealing with, what they're going through. Uh, interesting take is that when we look at uh, parents who've had a newborn child, who've made the transition to parenthood, mm -hmm. as the two of you have, that four out of six of those marriages decline in satisfaction. One in six stays about the same, but one in six increases in quality and in satisfaction. And the nearest that we can six. guess, one in six, that's depressing. Yeah. But what is encouraging is that it seems that that, that magic 20 minutes, that love mapping, that mm -hmm. staying in mm -hmm. touch is that difference. And if it's true for a couple that's stressing with the demands of bringing a new life into the world, it holds throughout life. So if you were, if you were to walk away you know, from podcast today thinking, Okay, what is the one thing I can do? You've, you've picked up at least three. A weekly date with your spouse, a daddy date, mommy date, individual dates. Um, we've got family meals, and we've got this crucial 20 minutes worth of love map conversations to deal with, uh, you know, not to integrate all at once perhaps, but to think about which of those might bless your marriage, your home, your family. Uh, the most It'd be great first step. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, as you're talking about the uh, the tendency for parents or for new parents to kind of lose satisfaction in their marriage, I was thinking about how uh, a current, kind of some of the things we were saying at the beginning of the podcast, where um, society has created these competing uh, values or these competing incentives. Um, and one thing that's a really subversive incentive that is hard to recognize, I think, is the, the idea that a parent's relationship is, or a parent's relationship with their child is more important than their relationship with their spouse. Um, and I think that's a pretty uh, intense, or like a pretty strong subvein in our culture. I uh, you know, like when when couples get divorced, they always talk about how they're going to have, not always, but a lot of them talk about how they're going to have strong commitment to their kids and they're going to be there no matter what. But that same level of commitment isn't present in their relationship to their spouse. Um, and I think that is, it can be really negative, have a negative effect on, on family, on, on your marriage relationship. And then on, again, on with your relationship with your kids. Like the best thing you can do to have a strong relationship with your kids is have a strong relationship with your spouse. It kind of mm -hmm. goes back to this idea of, of multilateral relationships, of sure. like a spider web of relationships. Mm -hmm. And the, the core relationships in any family are the relationships between, a, a, between spouses. Yeah, very well put. Uh, I even think about things like giving my wife a kiss in the, the kitchen when when we come together at the end of a day after work, school, whatever. The young kids, 
uh, you know, even up into the teenage years, will say things like gross or get a room, you know. Uh, but if you keep watching their face, you see a smile because they know, hey, mom and dad are crazy about each other. There is a comfort that comes from that uh, that comes in no other way. I, I agree that perhaps the one of the greatest things that a, that a man can do for his children is to deeply love their mother. Uh, hard to get around that and and vice versa uh, for mm-hmm. a wife and mother to love the husband and father in, in a deep respectful way um, in, in thinking through other critical issues that that may be worth sharing um, as, as we wind down I I think of another statement from Bill Doherty who says to ruin a good marriage in less than two years, focus on what you are not getting. Mm-hmm. Now, it's a little bit of reverse psychology there. It's framed in the negative instead of the positive. Right. But uh, there are some relationship theorists who say, and, and researchers who, who say, even in the best marriages, the strongest marriages, your spouse can only meet about 40% of the human and social needs that you have. Um, You can't be everything to your spouse. Mm -hmm. Uh, No spouse is gonna meet all of their partner's needs. So what do we do with that? Are we grateful for the wonderful contributions our our wife, our husband, uh, our mother, our father make within the family? Or do we focus on that 60, 70, 80% that they can't deliver. Uh, the implication is therein lies the difference between joy and misery, mm-hmm. a relationship that, that flourishes and a relationship that crashes and burns. If we can focus, almost fixate on the wonderful things that our spouse does, the efforts that they make, instead of where they fall short, uh, we will do so much better in our marriages. My wife's father uh, has flipped houses. He can do everything top to bottom. He's built Ford Mustangs from scratch. He's built computers from scratch. But by comparison, I'm a home improvement idiot. (laughs) With a car, I can pump gas and that's about it. (laughs) I I can barely turn a computer on and word process. Mm -hmm. Seriously, that's, that's where I'm at. And if she focused on what I could not do, I don't think our marriage would have made it two years, like Bill Doherty says. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead, she focuses on what she appreciates, and I love her for that. And it makes me want to be better. Whereas if she focused on what I was missing, and the list is long, that would be disheartening, demoralizing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's super important. Uh, first of all, I love that idea that, or that recognition that... Um, our spouse can really only meet around 40% of, of our, what did you say, our social needs, yeah. our, fam- our family and social needs. And um, I think being aware of that's really important. I think talking to your spouse openly about your needs, um, talking about what types of needs you have, like your love languages, all those things. Uh, and then coming together regularly and, like, I mean, we had this conversation yesterday. Yeah. But, um, like, what needs am I meeting well of yours what needs of yours am i um needing to meet better or more and i I really like that that research because i feel 
comforted in not being able to meet all of Emily's needs yeah. or Emily not being able to meet all of my needs. Yeah. Like it's really comforting. And especially if we realize that and then we can make a plan to address it. It's like I have one of my needs is I have like an intellectual need. Like I need intellectual stimulation. <laughs> and frequently it's like through strategy, it's through competition, something like that. Access and, and allies. Access and allies <laughs> or like really complex strategy games or <coughs> that kind of stuff. And Emily hates everything to do with strategy games. Mm-hmm. And so like she likes chance games where there's not really that much like strategy involved. Right. It's just like rolling dice <coughs> or drawing cards. Um, but I need that extra um, intellectual stimulation. Yeah, that extra stimulation. <laughs> and Emily, uh, instead of feeling, I, mean, I think she, you maybe still feel bad about I it. I still feel bad, but I I try the things that he likes to do. Like yeah. I tried playing Axis and Allies the other night with you. We didn't make it very long. <laughs> uh, but but uh, one thing I love about Emily is that she didn't just say like, "Oh, that sucks." Like I'm sad. She said, "Okay, well." Feel free to like invite friends over who can. Yeah, I did say that. Who are like into this and that you'd want to be able to play with, and it wasn't like a, like oh just go do this with them. Like I don't have time for it. It's like I would do this for you if I could, but I can't, and I love you, and so I want you to get that, that have those needs met, and so I want you to like take the time you need to have those needs met. Have a guys access and allies night. Yeah. <laughs> at our house, and I'll make you dessert. Which seems but a little, I can't play. which is dorky and everything, but like that gets to the point that Emily is is trying to uh, reconcile that extra, you know, sixty percent. Sure. sure. Um, and I love for it. Some oh, of those, yeah. You know, some of those needs you wisely outsource. <laughs> you know, <laughs> outsourcing to, need fulfillment. Perfect. Yeah. And and as you do so, it is important, I think. To, to wisely discern between, uh, y- you want true friends. Mm-hmm. And true friends are also friends of your marriage. Right. Uh, a true friend will, will shop with you, uh, will do your, uh, you know, your activity, Emily, true friend of Andrew's will do an activity that's fun for him, that, that recharges both your batteries. Mm-hmm. But they will also say, and you know what? We've, we've done this long enough. It's time for you to get back to the number one in your life. Right. Mm-hmm. Someone who leans on, uh, who you can lean on and get support for the marriage. You want to keep an eye open for those who, who view uh, your relationship, your marital relationship as somehow threatening to them. Uh, they can they can undermine relationships. Look for those who are true friends and who are also friends of the marriage. Yeah, I like that. We've discussed we're, a lot of yeah, takeaways, and I mean, this whole episode was filled with ideas of what we can do to better strengthen our marriage and to slow down and really be in the moment and be present with our spouse, yeah. even when the world around us is rushing. Yeah, not rushing. Like <laughs> is rushing. Yeah, rushing. Yeah, and I, I think it's interesting that this whole episode has been about slowing down because this episode has been more calm and slower than yeah. some than a lot of our other episodes, mm-hmm. which was I was not expecting that because Emily and I are in the midst of a very jam packed day. Not to brag about our busyness. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're going back to that, but so right. we like squoze this in, and I was expecting to feel like rushed, rushed and. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was expecting to feel rushed the whole time. But, but I feel like the spirit was really here, and that's what needed to happen. Yeah, so if, um, sorry we weren't as upbeat as we usually 
as we try and usually be, but I think this was this was perfect. This was, was meant to be this way. Yeah. So hopefully, like, you can come, you can take this, take these lessons that we've talked about that uh, that Lauren has presented to us, and really try to make some improvements in your life. And I I can testify that as you have, as you try and do those things, as you try and make improvements in your relationship, like Heavenly Father is going to help you. Like mm-hmm. this is not something you just have to do with the help of. President Marx, as great as he is, and the help of social scientists, like this is something that the Heavenly Father is intimately engaged in. And as you try and, and utilize all the tools and skills that we have been given, um, Heavenly Father is going to lend you his spirit because he is even more invested in your relationship with your spouse than you are, as crazy as that seems, because mm-hmm. he loves us more than we're capable of loving at this point in our lives. Right. Yeah, that's perfect. Well, if our listeners have any questions or comments for you, Lauren, where where can they reach you? L-O-R-E-N, Lauren, underscore, Marks, M-A-R-K-S, at BYU.edu. Love to hear from you. All right, guys. Yeah, thanks. Well, we will um, find all of the sources that Lauren referenced, and we'll link them up in the show notes for you. All right, guys. Keep the faith. Keep the faith.